right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I am Mike Maroney, alongside Jay Woodson, McLean Boyd. We have a three-man weave going again tonight. Missing Tom as he's unable to join us again. But, man, we got a good show. I'm excited, boys. We had a, a great weekend of golf. A lot of storylines, a lot of big names around. A couple of my favorite players in the news this week. I just can't wait to put my arms around. But uh, I guess first, what's... What's everyone drinking? We haven't done this segment in a while. Ooh. I, I I'm on Corona Light. Nothing wrong with a Corona Light. I mean, I could drink Corona Light on the beach, outside, playing golf, whatever. It's like the go-to outside drink, in my opinion, as you, you know, are sitting by the pool at your back, on your back porch. I am. I am. <laughs> you know the other place I like drinking them, though, Jay, if I'm being honest? Inside. Yeah. <laughs> you like them inside just as much as you like them outside. No matter the climate it's, or the um, roof. This, this sounds like a Dr. Zeus book. Do you like them inside and outside? Inside, outside. Do you like them by the pool down. and by the beach? I like them by the pool. I like them on a stool. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, you're a lime guy. You lime guy in your Cronus? I am, but I mix it up. Like there's there's zero chance not having a lime is going to stop me from drinking them. I agree. Without question. I agree. However, if one's available, it's like, eh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do it. it. There is one thing that they have in Florida that is amazing and it's super dangerous, and I have <laughs> I've not made one for myself tonight because I got into a little bit of grapes before we got live here, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going straight up Corona. But here they make these things called loaded Coronas. Oh yeah. Have I told you guys about these? So you take a Corona and you know how when you open a beer, there's a little bit left in it. You know, there's a little space left. Mm -hmm. so they take Bacardi Limon rum, pour it on top of it, and then throw a lime on top. It's called a loaded Corona. If you go to some bars where they really want to treat you fancy, they're like, hey, take a little sip first and then we'll refill it. Then you get like a full shot in there. And if you drink about three or four of those, you end up forgetting drinking about three or four of them. Yeah. Um, it, they are dangerous. A lot of fun, but dangerous. <laughs> Welcome Man. to Florida. It does sound pretty good though. It does no, it, it's actually like they're, they're sneaky good, but I think that's where a lot of these Florida man stories come from. You know, once you start mixing liquor and beer, you're just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do that. <laughs> uh, they got some doozies down there. Some yeah. But all right, Jay, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking uh Weller's special reserve. Oh man. So not their wow. not their nice stuff, not the antique 107 or green bottle. Or green the label. 12. Yeah, the green bottle. It's still still really it's good. But, still good. Um I have I, a bottle. I do wanna, I do, oh, you have a bottle of what? The one oh, you have a bottle of the 107. Or no, I the, have, and, and I have a special reserve. I got I got both. Yeah. Um Weller's one of my favorites. It's mm -hmm. it is really good stuff. All of its all of their stuff's good. I mean, I, I, this story that how I got this bottle is actually kind of funny. So I'm hanging out with my buddy Maddie B, who we all know, Matt Branningham. He's a good friend of our, of ours and a coworker of mine, and he's gotten onto the bourbon kick. And so he he texted me last week and said, "Hey." It's like, this guy's got, you know, 1.75 liter bottles of uh, Weller Special Reserve. You know, do you want to go get, you want to go pick them up? Because you can't get it in, in Virginia. 
Yeah. Um, so he had this guy was on like a some Facebook group and he had it. And he's like, Do you want to go pick it up? The guy was gonna give it to us for whatever price. I won't say it out loud. Um, it's it was reasonable, it was very fair. Um, so we go meet this guy, and I'm thinking I'm I don't know what I don't know where we are. It's like a like a weird drug deal. I'm going to get a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> like, what what are we doing here? But so the guy comes down from his apartment and has these two big bottles of 1.75 liter uh, Weller Special Reserve. I'm like, awesome. So we go over, go over there. <laughs> the guy says, I was like, can I Venmo you? And I think Matt says, can I Venmo you? He's like, ah, he's like, my, my account is locked with Venmo. And I'm like, this is not a good sign here. <laughs> I was like, what are we getting into here for this, this special reserve? Uh, so I was like, all right, I was like, whatever, Matt, you've been moving later. I'll, I'll pay, pay for the, the bottles. No big deal. So we start, we get to talking to this guy and I guess he was feeling us out and this is probably his ploy the whole time. So we're talking and we're asking him questions cause you know, he's in the, in that game and we're trying to find the, you know, the hidden gem that you can't get. So after about a couple minutes of talking with him, I think this guy figured out we were, you know, knuckleheads and we would do anything. He's like, He's like, you guys want to, you want to come to the apartment? I'll show you my inventory. And I was like, Matt was like, <laughs> Matt was like, yeah, let's do this. And I was like, well, let's, let's just take a second. Let's just take <laughs> a second and, and just think about it. But we, the guy was a little guy. So I looked, I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, he's not a big guy. It's two on one. If something weird happens, you know, if he's got somebody waiting up there, who knows? But anyway, we go up and walk into this guy's room, this is apartment. And he's got thousands of like, bottles of bourbon that you cannot you cannot find you cannot get i mean it was like kid in a candy store the only problem was it was like a kid in a high-end expensive candy store and he doesn't have enough money to buy any candy <laughs> <laughs> so i mean we're in here and i'm like looking at all these bottles he's telling us all these prices like man i'm gonna i'm gonna put that on my wish list and then i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna come back but it was a totally i know i went off on a tangent but it was a totally crazy story i didn't get all this bottle stuff. of he, this guy would, he, he gets a U-Haul and he drives to all these like famous uh, bourbon houses, these famous hotels that do their own barrel picking. And he'll sit in while they pick these barrels and he'll buy one at cost. Cause if you're there, you can get it at, not at cost, but at the, the normal retail price. And the problem is once those bottles sell out, um, then, you, you know, then the price jumps up like four to six times the, you know, the retail price. So like the, the Weller Special Reserve is I don't know it's I don't even know if it's you know for a for a uh, a one point a one liter or even less of like a 0.75 liter uh, bottle it's like I don't know forty bucks maybe but if you buy it somewhere else then it's you know three or four times the amount which is kind of I mean it's crazy I mean you have to do a lot of traveling finding the right uh, yeah, bourbon that's, houses that's distilleries work. yeah it's work I mean and he's that's how he pays for it but I mean he's got. He's got a ton of stuff that I've never seen before that I've only seen in, in videos and pictures. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was really crazy. A little, it was pretty unique just to see that how crazy the bourbon thing has gotten in the last, you know, yeah, five bonkers, seven years. It's, it's nuts, but needless to say, that's my story for when I'm drinking. <laughs> the there you go. But there you go. Yeah. My, my bottle was both my bottles of well, that were both gifts that came from across state lines. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so I haven't I haven't dipped too much into him because if I drink it all, I don't know when I'm getting another bottle. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know. I had a bottle of one one oh seven once. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Once. <laughs> Once. Yeah. It's gone. So I am uh, I'm on Buffalo Trace. Oh man, that's good. Can't beat that. No, nope, it's hard to beat that. Um, we've talked about it on here before. So it's, it's a good one. And I'm and I'm fortunate to have a couple bottles in my house. So I feel uh, like okay, I can have a couple glasses since I, I got a backup reserve here. Yeah. So that's what, they, know, that's what I, they I did say. just I did just have a birthday, you know, in case you had a couple extra bottles. <laughs> we did we did have a big big week last week. We had back to back birthdays, McLean right. and Tom. Yeah. I didn't know his birthday was the day after mine. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um yeah, big week and we got you guys nothing. But yeah. <laughs> Not even, not even a bottle of extra bourbon that you have. No. See, the guy mentions he has multiple. Doesn't even share. It's okay though. You know, I get it. I get it. No problem. Hey, I'm you know. you, sending you a text. Yeah, I sent you a text. What else do you want? Are you lucky you got Fair that. Enough. Fair enough. Hmm. Um, but let's let's talk some golf, boys. We got a a great show. Um, is that what this podcast is about? This is about golf. It is about oh, golf. Is we, <laughs> oh, it's golf. We mix in oh, some life, some weird, lifestyle weird, stories here weird and there. Stories you know? about. Weird stories about buying bourbon in a weird guy's apartment. Well, I, I wanted to see how that story was going to end because I was on the I edge of my yeah, seat. I did. I, I did uh, really preface that to, for a big, big ending, and I really let you guys down. It ended up being very benign. It was n- not weird at all. We just we each <laughs> found one other bottle, the cheapest one they had, and then we left. And that was yeah, it. the the payoff really wasn't there, Jay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, let's talk golf. Uh, we had the BMW Championship second playoff event over up in uh, Owings Mill, just outside of Baltimore at Caves Valley. And Patrick Cantlay wins in an epic six-hole playoff over everyone's favorite, Bryson DeChambeau. They got in at a measly 27 under par to <laughs> get into the playoff. <laughs> um, but you think, you think they're going back to... I'm not sure uh, Caves is going to get another uh, another event there, no. but yeah. well, we can get to the Caves in a little bit. But well, yeah, do we do we want to go the winner first, or we go Bryson first, or where do we go with this? I mean, let's go the winner first. Yeah, let's give let's give Patrick part. the floor because I can't really give Bryson the floor. Give the guy his due. Yeah. yeah. So give the guy his due. If you didn't watch, unreal. Patrick Cantlay put on the greatest putting performance in the history of the PGA Tour, and stats have backed that up. It was the set a record, well, I guess since 2004 when they started keeping the stat. Yeah. For strokes gained putting, he was over 14 strokes gained on the field putting. <laughs> That's insane. It's unreal. <laughs> unreal. unreal. That's insane. Yeah. What was the, Mikey, what was the previous record? I mean, um, Kevin Nah. What yeah, was it? Was I think nah. it was like seven or eight. So no, it was maybe? pretty high. It was 14. It wasn't as wasn't as high as um oh it was that high. Yeah, it was pretty high. Um he didn't he didn't blow the record away, but it was a record. Someone had posted it on social media. I should have screenshotted it because I knew this was gonna come up, but I'm only somewhat prepared. <laughs> I do remember who posted it. Yeah, so I know I was trying to I was trying to look it up as well. But I mean that's no surprise for Kevin Na to be up there. He's he can get super hot like that. that um, All right, so here you go. So Cantley was 14.58 Kevin Na at the 2019 Shriners was 14.18 so I mean so that's not that quite a full stroke the playoff though that does not count the playoff I think they said he would have been 16 that's insane if they count the playoff holes what that's what insane. he did is something that 
we we may never see again. And what's crazy about it is that you know when you look back on it, if if you were if someone was to tell most people our age who was the greatest putter of all time, we all going to immediately most likely go to Tiger. However, yeah. or, or Brad in all the in all the ridiculous, or of course Brad Faxon, Lauren Roberts. There, there's yeah. a lot of other arguments there, right? Yeah. At the same time, though, you know our minds, especially because of our age and the age we were when tiger was in his prime yeah especially as a clutch putter i think no one's gonna sit here and argue tiger's the best clutch putter of all time and no and i'm not sitting here trying to make an argument against that however with all of the rounds that we saw tiger put on the fact that this outshined yeah what what the great one ever accomplished mind you i know kevin na was number two and i would have never have known that if i had not have seen the stat watching what he did only Unreal. gave me only gave me thoughts of Tiger. The only person I ever saw made that many, ever remember seeing make that many long putts was Tiger. Jordan had a very very small window where he had a couple rounds that he made a lot of long putts like that. But Patrick Cantlay making twenty footer after twenty footer when he needed yeah. to, when the pressure was on and he had to make it to extend, made it all that much more impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to get to this whole clutch thing in a little bit, but just some of the stats on he was from 10 to 20 foot range in that in that window. The tour average is 25 percent point, whatever. Just call it 25 percent from 10 to 20 feet. Yeah, he was like 61 percent this weekend on four days from 10 to 20 feet. That's Are you kidding me? That's absurd. That can't be right. He made 20 putts over 10 feet this week. That is bonkers. That's heard of. I mean, you it's know, like every other hole, almost every other hole. He's making a, a, a bomb there. There are guys and I, and I, I apologize for not having a little data to back this up, but I'm, I'm certain if I do a little research there, there are guys who will go an entire tournament and only make a couple putts outside of 10 feet. I mean, you look at something like Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka, these guys who just smash it off the tee and they just, just they take take advantage of the par fives, you know, they hit wedges close. I mean, they can go 72 holes and only make, you know, two or three putts over 10 feet and win the tournament. And and Patrick Cantley, you said made how many? 20? He made 20 putts over 10 feet. That's just insane. That's insane. That's more than 25% of the holes. So I mean, I know you want to you I know you wanted to get to the clutch putting thing, but I, I just I am I opinion you know that that's what the strokes and we talked about this a little bit mikey when we were texting back and forth this weekend that's what there's no way to to quantify clutch putts like strokes gain is obviously i think so far the best indicator of a great putter but you know statistically speaking if you look at um bryson dechambeau i mean he's he's up there and strokes gained so he's a he is a great putter but if you watch the end of that tournament, there's no question who the best putter was. No question. Oh yeah. Given no, all no. of the, given just not even, not even the technique. I mean, I will say, and you've heard me say it. If you have a weird grip like that, the chances of you being a clutch putter are go down dramatically. I don't care who you are. You lose all of your feel, which is in your hands. I don't care. You, you don't have any feel in your left, your left uh, forearm, Bryson. I mean, he does it because it's, Technically, the club, the face doesn't rotate as much because he's so upright. It's scientifically. It's a scientific approach, and it obviously makes it makes him a good putter. But a clutch putter, it's hard to be a clutch putter with that. I mean, Patrick Cantlay. I mean, it was unbelievable. And and we, I want I want to hear your 
thoughts on this, but watching him putt, it almost looked as though it was like a really kind of long backstroke. And then he almost, it almost looked like he kind of decelerated as he got to the ball. Like some of the times I'm like, he didn't get it there, but I just, the way that he was, I'd love to see it on like a sand putt lab or something like that. So to I, see. The eyes can be deceiving. No, you, you were, you were, you were dead on with the putting stroke. It, it has the look of a deceleration. And I wouldn't be surprised if you put him on a sand putt or you put him on a blast motion or you put him on any of these sensors these days. And that thing might blare at him. Hey, you got a decelerating stroke. But I don't it, give a shit. It doesn't matter. I don't it give a shit. to the best putting round of all time. Like and- so, and the other thing is, if you look at guys, but kind of before the technology was out to measure these things, but we mentioned one of them, Faxon. And if you look at Crenshaw, two of my favorite putting strokes of all time, and I, I, I don't want to tell you how many times I go to YouTube and search those two putting strokes and oh, watch yeah. them all the time. They, they have longer. Longer way strokes. longer backstrokes. And you've even heard, actually, I've heard Tiger say this about an inter, a talk he had with Crenshaw. And I've heard Crenshaw say it. I've heard Faxon say it. They make these long, syrupy backstrokes. The putter almost gets behind the hands. Behind and the hands. then they let the weight of the putter drop on the golf ball. Yeah. 100%. So when you look at where the forward stroke is and the backstroke is relative to the golf ball, the backstroke is way longer further of a distance from the golf ball than the forward stroke is. And that's pretty much what Cantlay does. Um, This is going to sound really stupid, and you guys are going to roll your eyes. It's kind of how I putt as well, mainly because I've watched Faxon. It's mainly... Oh, you're such a good putter. No, you? I'm not. I'm not saying that. But what my point, <laughs> what my point was going to be okay, is, so like your here. only similarities Dude. is that you both hole out on every hole. That's right. Absolutely, every hole I make a putt. And but <laughs> when I hop, when I hop on one of those machines, they all tell me that I decelerate. Yeah, and I don't think it's that important. They're all trying to get this perfect tempo and they say you decelerate compared to other putters that they've measured on that machine. so the the perfect model of their tempo in their rhythm it doesn't match it it's supposed to be they say it's supposed to be two to one tempo backstroke to forward stroke all right i would like to see what patrick says because i want to do that spiraling down a fucking rabbit hole right this no this is a rabbit hole i kind of wanted to get down i kind of like this i mean okay so i'll say this that stroke style comes when you have a very, very loose putting grip, which I yeah. could not be a bigger proponent of. I want yeah. to hold the putter as as loose as possible and let natural weight, natural shape occur. When you have a, a tighter uh, uh, grip pressure, a stronger grip pressure, you eliminate natural motion because you are you are holding a club and making it more static in a motion that is very dynamic. So ultimately, you need to be able to allow the allow the natural curves, the natural arc, the natural motion of weight occur with a lighter putting grip, a lighter p- grip pressure when you're putting. Um, if we're if we're still down this rabbit hole, that yeah. that's my that's my fucking thought. But going back to statistics on Patrick Cantlay that are unbelievable, which is where we started. Again, a okay. really we solid. We can go back topic. there. We can uh, just a really solid topic. I didn't think we dove into real well, but we'll get back. I made ahead. the guy made five hundred and thirty-seven half feet of putts for four rounds. That average what one hundred and thirty-four feet per round of putts made. That's stupid. <laughs> that's every unreal. day. That's that unreal. And you, you know really, what? 
you know what he said? Oh, he, how many three putts? How many three putts did he have? Any guesses? Got to be zero. Zero. Yeah. Did Did you hear what the zero. tweak that they made? Uh, all they did was weaken the grip on his putter and tell him to try to make one more 20 footer a week. And he commented, I guess, back to the media and said, I didn't think I'd get, they wanted to make one more 20 footer a day or one more 20 footer a day for the remainder of the year. And he was like, I didn't know I'd get it all in one, one, you know, one round or one tournament, so to speak. <laughs> I, mean, I, know, I did. I did see something. He's starting to use the line of the golf ball on shorter putts. I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Not I mean, longer putts, but shorter putts. I noticed that he put the that putt that he made on 18 in regulation to get in the playoff. He had the line to the side. Yeah. Which I, you know, again, we're getting into putting theory and and all that, which is fine. I mean, this is what we're here to talk about. Um, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of using the line on putts 10 feet and in. You know, if you know, if you're gonna if you're an aim point guy, if you've got a a, a putt that's a, a one or a two. You can use the line. And when it gets larger than that, when you get more break than that, and uh, maybe three, four percent of slope, and then the longer putts, the line will, will really messes with you because I don't care who you are. If you use that line on a 25 footer and you've got two feet of break, you think you're putting the line where you're starting the ball, but they always put it inside. Mm-hmm. You all, most players will put, you know, they always start the ball. I should push the ball uphill. Most of them typically do that. Um, and that's just because your eye can't see that much curve when you're looking in a straight line on, on a you know, graduated slope. So anyway, I think the line is great. You know, anytime I work with my son, I'm like telling him, like, use the line on your short putts. It's like a huge advantage. As long as you know how to lay the you know, put the ball down and make sure that you're, and you don't, you know, take 12 minutes doing it. And you don't take, yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I tried to tell them, like, put the, put the line down. It's there as a guide, but put it down, you know, where you think you're going to go. And that way you got a barometer when you get over the putt, it kind of gives you a, it's like self-balancing, uh, balancing. But outside of that, I think you're right. I think it's really tough. So he may have, I mean, he may be, he may be the perfect putting model right now, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's, it's so good. I mean, the rhythm of it is just, yeah. it's so consistent too. I think that's, you know, when I was talking about the whole tempo and the rhythm and the ratio, to me, it's more about consistent. I don't, you don't have yeah. to be the perfect model, but can you do it the same every time? Maybe what you're a little it? bit of a quicker of a stroke. Maybe you're a little yeah. bit slower of a stroke. But if it's the same every time and it's consistent, yeah. and it's consistent on a five-footer or a 50-footer, then, then you're a good putter. So, Tiger, um, I mean, everyone who listens to this pod and has been on Sam Putt Lab, if you haven't, if you get on there, I'm sure there's, the program is already saved. They've saved one of Tiger's, you know, putting strokes or, or one of his, uh, you know, one of his times that he got on the, the Sam Putt Lab. And you've seen it, Mike. I mean, he he opens the, the blade quite a bit um, on the back, on the backswing and on the through swing. I mean, I don't, maybe depending on what length putt it was, it's, I mean, maybe six to seven degrees open and close, <clears throat> which is which is a lot. Um so, but again, you look at the numbers and you're looking at consistency wise, like, oh, I can't, you know, you know, you don't want to open your open and close the blade that much. And, you know, I understand that. But again, to your point, exactly. If you look at Tiger's consistency uh, numbers on that, that session that he had on the same putt light, it was like off the charts consistency. He hit it in the exact same spot on the face uh, with the exact same uh, face angle, with the exact same loft, with the exact same, um, you know, I guess you call it path with your putter. I mean, all of the numbers were exactly the same. Now, would they be the 
best model. His face was always a little open at impact. He opened and closed his club too much, but he did it the same way every time. And like we always talk about golf is, you know, I shouldn't say it's all about, but a lot of it is about predicting your next shot. So if you have a super consistent golf swing, super consistent putting stroke, then golf becomes a lot easier because you can predict your next shot. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's get back into the stats a little bit and the, and the clutch aspect of it. So, you know, we were texting, you know, when it was all happening last night and I sarcastically said, cause you're the, you remind us every episode that it's all about ball striking, not about putting on the PJ tour. So <laughs> I, I sarcastically said putting doesn't matter. And then you and rightfully so responded. Yeah. Yes. He had to have the greatest putting week of all time to just get into a playoff and win a six hole playoff. Right. And so that does go to the, the strokes gain T degree and the bomb and gouge aspect of DeChambeau yeah. and how much of an advantage he has off the tee. And then we were talking about the whole clutch aspect. And, and for me, I wish there was, like I said, I, I want to know what these guys, and this goes for every sport. I mean, we've sure. talked about stats are getting crazy in every sport. I want to know what people do with, when it's a clutch situation or a late situation. If you're a baseball player, you got baseball player A who hits 45 home runs a year. You got baseball player B who hits 35 home runs a year. But baseball player B hits his 35 home runs in inning seven through nine. I want him versus the guy who hits the 45 and they're happening in the first inning. The stat yeah. geeks will tell you it doesn't matter. A home run in the first inning is the same as a home run in the ninth inning. But it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. And so do you make putts on the front nine on Thursday, or do you make putts on the back nine on, on Sunday? And when it matters, I think there's, there's a difference there. We can get all caught up in all these stats and I love stats, but they don't always tell the whole, the whole story. Right. Agreed. It's also a difference of situation when you're making those putts, you know, one could argue that, yeah, you're making the putts on Sunday afternoon, but if you're not in contention, correct. Absolutely. Made on Sunday afternoon, lad up the same way the putts made on Thursday morning did. Yeah, you know, yeah, but I, but I think you know, to that point, I agree 100. percent They they all they all count the same, but the amount of pressure that one feels, and and that's what's cool about being a spectator is you know when the pressure is on. So it's different between making the putt on Thursday and Friday and making the putt on Sunday. So there's a there is a different element. There's more weight there. To, you know these putts are more important. Now they don't you don't get an extra half a shot when you make them, but. I think they're more important, and the in the spectators know they're more important, and that's why you the the guys who make the putts at the end of the tournament are the people that that resonate with the the list the the viewers. They they can see how much pressure it was for this guy to make that putt, and they're like, "Wow, that was incredible!" You can see the emotion, you can see how nervous he was, and he still made the putt. They don't care on about the putt on Thursday because one, we're not watching as much, and two, it's not as important. You know, it's like yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no pressure. And it's, that's the thing about, you know, quantifying these clutch shots is all about pressure. Like how much pressure was on you? You know, how do you quantify pressure? Is it making a 20 footer to make the cut? Is it making a 20 footer to finish in the top, uh, top 10 to get in the next week on a, on the PGA tour? If you're a non-qualifier, you know, that's the thing. It's like, there's no one going around saying this is a pressure putt. Like you don't know, we don't, don't know what this guy's going through that you know if he struggles on his 15 footers and for him to make one 15 footer is like that sets him over the edge you know that's the thing about pressure there's no way to quantify but if there yeah. was um i mean i think closest thing in my 
like you even said this is if we could go back and just look and see how many, how many, how many putts did get, how many feet or a feet of putts did a guy make to win a tournament or to not lose a tournament, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, just some start with something simple so we can try to get some type of stat together. I think it'd be fun to kind of see the, the most clutch putter. Cause we, Again, we talked about Brad Faxon, who, statistically speaking, with strokes game putting, he is the best putter since they started in 2004. He has got the best stats in terms of strokes game putting. But anytime you ask, like like McLean just said, anytime you ask who's the best putter, everyone says Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, because they were the clutch putters. They made those putts when they needed to. And not that Brad Faxon didn't make clutch putts. He didn't win many golf tournaments, though, He didn't right? win he, as many golf tournaments as Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. So, um, I don't know. It'd be it'd be a cool thing to kind yeah, of Yeah, it'd debate. be awesome. And I think I think that's where, and this goes, again, more to other sports, but I think sometimes, and I'll use baseball as an analogy, is um, I think the nerds are, are taking over baseball and ruining it to an extent. You look at the World Series last year, and, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, Blake Snell, Game 7, is just fucking dealing. Yeah. He is dominating and dealing, and the viewer can see it. Anyone who knows anything about baseball can tell this guy is on fire. They're not yeah. touching him. But the stats say once you get to the third time around the batting order, the ERA goes up, and it's like, no, I'm sorry. Use your eyes. Yeah. Get, get a sense of the moment and feel like this guy is fucking feeling it. Leave yeah. him in the game. And they yeah. tell, take him out of the game, and the bullpen blows it. And it's like. Yeah. Come on, nerds. It's not just on paper. It's it's what's happening in the moment. I don't care yeah. what the numbers say. Is how does a guy look? What's his body language? And yeah. so I think there was more. I think there's there's some sort of stat to to, to say that. I'm not even sure it's possible. But like, it's very but, tough to quantify. How how do you keep track of it? And I feel like yeah. that's the biggest thing because ultimately we all can recognize it physically when our eyes when the moment's happening, right? Yeah. But where do you cut that statistic off? Is it something that where you're measuring putts when a guy gets in the top five? Are we only measuring those putts when it's on the weekend? Is it only something we're doing on Sunday afternoon? Are guys in the top five when they put themselves in contention? Um, do they need to be in the last two groups? Are we measuring those? So it's, it's tough yeah. because we don't have any parameters set on it now. Yeah. And right now we're really trying to fantasize on what those parameters might even look like, how, how you quantify a figure like that. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I agree. I think there is a way to do it. And, and, you know, I threw out those very quick parameters, but I mean, it could be something to where, you know, the last, the last, uh, what four groups are eight guys. Normally do we take the top 12, the last six twosomes on Sunday? And we look at what happens when they put themselves into contention at the end of the year, you're only going to have so many guys that are in those last six groups. Yeah. I would also argue that the amount of winners that come outside of those last six groups are going to be almost zero for the year, if not zero every year. I don't know. I, again, that's a, that's a figure I'd have to go back and look at to see how many guys come from more than six groups behind that have ever won a golf tournament. Is that even something we need to worry about? But at the end of the day, if you were to go back and you take the last six groups, which normally we know they play twosomes on Sunday. So we're looking at the last uh, 12 guys, Every time you put yourself in those groups, do we start tracking an additional stat and we call it, you know, contention? Yeah. I mean, you know, I yeah, agree. I don't know. I'll let the statistics gain figure that out. Contention. I, I will say contention. Strokes, strokes gain in contention. That I mean, that would be awesome. I, I will say 
as as much as I like, you know, kind of looking at the stats, trying to find out, you know, who's the most efficient player and and who's playing the best, and and with the, the whole debate, that is kind of the magic of sports, you know, um, that you don't have a stat to quantify clutch. It's like it's what kind of keeps you coming back because if it, if it were already written on paper then I think it would be less compelling to the audience. They would, they would lose interest a little bit. So for me, like growing up in the eighties and nineties, uh, Michael Jordan was the most, most clutch individual on the entire planet. And to this day, the only one that I would rank ahead of him or near him would be tiger. Yep. Um, but there's no way to, to gauge that. Um, and I, I think that's kind of cool because if you look at everyone has that debate on stats, like, Oh, well, Jordan went to won six championships and and only went to six. And there was like, well, LeBron went to eight or nine and only won, you know, four. And you know, he went to more. And I'm like, you're you're not, we're not, we're not judging on the right stats. Like everyone's like thinks it's championships. And and to some degree, it, it's championships only because Jordan performed at such a high level, uh, you know, at the highest peak, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the moment where everyone was watching, you know, I think that's, it, it was just clutch and you can yeah. tell it. Like you said, it's the eye test. You watch it like Tom Brady wins however many Super Bowls, like, and he comes back from 28 points down against the Falcons. I mean, it's like, it's, it's 25, the eye it was test. 20 to three, but um, it was 25. <laughs> no. And that's, and that you're, you're perfectly right. I mean, cause that's the thing is like, you look at say, it, there's, you can name, one, what would you say? Say that one more time. Say what? You said I'm per- I'm perfectly right. So. I don't think I don't think I said that. Um, <laughs> I'll scrub that from the record. Uh, but no, like you're right. You can no look, data can, to back that up. I, no can, data to back that up. <laughs> I can name a number of guys in every major sport that are awesome in the regular season mm-hmm. when the playoffs get around, and they're just not as good. I'm sorry, they don't get it done. They're not as yeah. clutch. The pressure gets to them. You yeah. know, and that you bring up Tom Brady. Look at Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for how many years everyone was like, well, Peyton's the best. Look at his, look at how many passing yards he has and look at his touchdowns and look at his interception ratio. Yeah. Well, then they got to the playoffs and Tom Brady kicked his ass every time. So yeah. that, yeah. that, sorry, that matters. Like, it matters. Look at Clayton and- Kershaw in the MLB. He had how many great years of just being dominant in the regular season. And then he got to the playoffs and didn't do it. Like, as long yeah. as we're in this country, you're judged on winning. You're judged on winning. And winning is when the, the, and that's what, that's what people want to watch. They want to watch people rise to the occasion and beyond or fail. That's the way that our the human race is made. They, want, I mean, we like the entertainment factor of, of seeing people, you know, drop down to our level and, and succumb to being a normal person, or they want to see absolute greatness. They don't want to see the guy two putt the last five holes to, to win a, win a major because, you know, of for whatever reason, everyone else folded. Like, that's no fun. It's not fun. No, it's, it's not, not fun. entertaining. Um, yeah, and the whole reason I, I kind of brought all this up and, and kind of bring it back to the golf and, and specifically this weekend. And, you know, again, we've I guess what I enjoyed about it is at the end, when it matters, putting still matters. A hundred percent. Right. Agree. And so, you know, we talk about how it's ball striking, ball striking, ball striking and tee to green. But. To win, to get the job done, putting does still matter. Hundred percent, I agree. 100%. When when the when your balls are on your balls are sitting there on the table, and you got to make a twenty five footer to get into a playoff, and you're Patrick Cantlay, and you pour it in the middle, 
and then you make par putt after par putt and it's like th- yeah. that it does still matter so uh, you know, that's kind of well, where it all started for me no look, question not only does it matter patrick cantley just shown us that it is the equalizer yeah because if patrick cantley hits it because ever here's the whole thing that everyone's talking about if patrick cantley doesn't putt this well they can't beat bryson okay well if patrick cantley hits it a shade better than he did Bryson's not even in the in the yeah. conversation. You know, there's a number of different ways you can look at it, and I know that's just one of them. No, that's 100 percent right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah, Patrick Cantlay did have to put that good to beat Bryson. Absolutely, but if Patrick Cantlay hits it a little bit better, well, it's not really a conversation. Yeah, you know, I mean, the guy at zero three putts. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it. You could look at it both. Put the greens both ways. If, if you're Bryson, exactly right, you look at it. Either if way. Bryson didn't putt with such a awkward, you know, if he if he were able to have a, the feel of Patrick Cantlay, he had a shot forty under par. Yeah, if he didn't putt, I like mean, do, douchebag like he is, he would. <laughs> I mean, it's just I get I get why he's doing it because he's he's a scientist. That's uh, he's uh, he's kind of like well, you know, it's obviously paying well. If it, nothing it, it else, is, he's it, proved all of us wrong, myself included. I don't like the guy, but I respect what he's done. I respect. I, how successful he's been doing it. I think anyone that doesn't at this point is just literally trying to be a hater, which I'm not sure I'm not, but at the same time, I got to give respect where it's due. You don't, you don't have that much success without proving your theory. He's yeah. proved his theory. He, he oh, yeah, can, I, you know, I'm one of the biggest Bryson haters out there and I don't really hate what he's doing on the golf course. I just hate him as a person and how he goes about it and how he talks about it. And you know what I mean? Like, and so here's a, here's a question for you, which is really weird. I thought about this. He's lost 20 pounds. So what was the point of putting it all on in the first place? Yeah. He just, it's hard to maintain when you weren't, it's like NFL, right? And he's still hitting hitting it a mile. It's an experiment. Every, every part of this is an experiment. I don't yeah. know that he knew what weight he needed to get into. And I find myself all of a sudden defending a strategy I'm not a big fan of. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, it's one of those situations where he didn't know how big he needed to get to maximize his speed. Um, yeah. You know, he's obviously still pumping it out there. I mean, he I saw shots. I didn't see the 195 plus, but I did see 190, 191, 192. Boys, that is pumping it. No, and he hit are, it. He hit no. it straight too this weekend. Well, that's well, what you I was saw. What say. Jordan Speed said. Jordan Speed said playing within the first two rounds, he felt like had to be how a lot of guys felt when Tiger came out in '97. That's yeah. what he tried to make the equivalence to. Now, I'm yeah. not arguing that that that's a direct equivalence, yeah. but at the same time, when you take one of the top players in the world and and, and put him into that mindset. And we all know Jordan's not the longest player in the world, but Jordan's not Zach Johnson either. Yeah. You know what here's I mean? a crazy, here's a crazy stat. I don't have the exact stat in front of me because I don't know how to look up individual tournament strokes gained. But I heard today Bryson was either first or st- second strokes gained T to green this weekend. But if you break that up, strokes gained T to green is strokes gained driving and, and strokes gained approach. He was actually negative strokes gained approach. This week, yet his strokes gain driving was so good. He was still first in the field. The strokes gain tee to green. That's 
That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. So that's how well he hit the driver, and how far he hit it, and how straight he well, hit it. This I mean, I, did he miss a fairway in the in the playoff? Yeah, he hit that one in the creek, and then he got uh, up and down for par. That's right. But I mean, an incredible that, up every- and down. By the way, I mean, you know, I, I'm not. I'm obviously I'm sitting there pulling for Cantlay as hard as as hard as I possibly can, and when Bryson stuffed that shot, it's just like, man, got respect. Yeah. Yeah, Spat, going going you know, back to Cantley real fast. I thought the the biggest hole of the whole event was seventeen in regulation, making he rinse, par, rinses up the par three, par and, bogey. and I'm like, oh, he's done. He gets up and down for bogey, and then Bryson flubs his chip and makes bogey, and I'm like, whoa! I thought the he, thing was over, and I was looking at a ball game. That's when that, Bryson blew it right there. And that's a perfect example of you can't give up, never give up. I mean, you know, Jim Valvano is sitting there like that's you know, he's, he's sitting there licking his chops. Like I, I, I fucking told you guys, I fucking told you guys never give up. Um, never give shout up. Out Jimmy V. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. I think when all of us saw those shots hit, you're just like, holy shit. Did that just happen? This tournament's over. And then that's Patrick can't lay Patrick can't lay. Gets it up and down. Bryson flubs, and you're sitting there going, "Wait a second, there's still a chance." And when when Patrick Cantlay hit that putt, and I almost thought it was funny because Patrick kept putting it just outside of Bryson, but Patrick from deep kept applying the pressure, and I almost liked it. It's just like Patrick was wet from 18 to 25 feet. Let him throw it out there. He's gonna center cut it. Yeah. Put all the pressure on Bryson. And when Bryson started cussing and when he missed that short one and you see him sitting there holding the putter, flipping his shit, you're just like, uh, guy looks a little flappable. And Cantlay is so dialed in mentally, showing almost zero emotion into exactly the moment. I mean, just you talk about in the moment and just executing. Yeah. That's where Bryson struggles. I think John Rahm has moments like that as well, where a guy like Cantlay is going to beat them. Look at what Cantlay did. He laid up. He would he would get up and down. He would knock down 20-footers. He'd knock down 12-footers for par when you had an 8-footer for birdie, and you lip out your 8-footer, and all of a sudden you find yourself still in it. Cantlay mentally is unbelievable. I mean, as far as mental toughness, as far as – putting yourself in the moment, executing, accepting the bad with the good and executing the next shot. That was as good of a, a demonstration I've seen since yeah. Tiger in his prime. Yeah, wow. it was, it was fun to watch. Um, Bryson has a chip in yips, I think. Yeah, he, he doesn't. Well, on that note, I was actually going to talk about this. I, I think he would, he would certainly benefit from, I know he's all about the one link uh, club. I think he needs two links. I think he needs to have one for the upper irons, one for the short irons. The the chipping with a, a seven iron link club is just difficult. The cl- I don't care what you do to the weight. It's just your posture is different. The way you get over the golf ball, your eye line's different. It's yeah, exactly. The way that the club works in the ball path wise, you know, how you square the face up with a, you know, a, a, a sand wedge or a lob wedge. That's the length of a seven iron. That's, I don't know. I just, Buddy, it's, it's awful. Those angles are it, so difficult. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. I, I think he would benefit. And I was telling, I was telling Mikey when you when you jumped up for a little little Corona light break that I no, think I he heard. Need, no, I think he, he needs to go to two links with his irons. One for short irons, one for longer irons, and then see what see what that does for him because he's proven he's proven that the the chipping the chipping part of it and the short game stuff is not great. Now, if you go to more of the 
the full swing pitches and things like that, I think he's okay. He hits, he also hit some good shots. Even but... even the full swing, he's not great with his wedges. He's not great. He's not great. Like yeah. he hit one shot yesterday. No. He had a wedge in his hand, like a flip wedge, and he yell, he hits it. And in the air, he's yelling "Be right!" and it comes up thirty-seven feet short. Like, how often do you hear a pro yell "Be right!" and they're that far off? Like, well, I think that that too has it stems from the, how hard he swings. And it's just so difficult to judge speed with those wedges. It's, you, you know, think about it. You've got a 60 degree wedge that you're delofting, you know, six, seven degrees, eight degrees, and you're swinging it uh, for me and you, we're all swinging it at, I don't know, you know, 80 miles an hour. Is that, was that accurate? Mike and McLean lower than that. Yeah. Like, you know, 78. What's oh, really? Is that low? 78, seven, 70s. If you're swinging a full, now you can swing a full lob wedge harder than that if you want to. You would never try to. But typically, you're swinging in the mid 70s with a with a lob wedge to 80 miles an hour at most. I mean, you're trying to bake one. So we're 75. Let's just say on average 75 to 80 miles an hour at the max, and and you're deloffing the club, you know, with with some type of shaft lean, five, six, seven degrees for different people. But for that's for a normal person. And if you go to Bryson, who swings his a seven iron length, and he's delofting it more than most of us at you know six, uh, seven, eight, nine degrees, and then also swinging it at 90, 92 miles an hour, like you're when you're off, if you miss hit that thing just a little bit, it's it ends up being 10 yards short, you know, not. 10 feet if short. you watch, if you watch a decent amount of it, you could tell Bryson has distance control issues. Yeah, 100%. he hit he hit numerous shots. Uh, one in particular, the one on sixteen or no, which which one did he hit in the water? Thirty looked like it was thirty yards short, but he was saying he thought it was good. Um, you got bad equipment. You got bad equipment. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. <laughs> It, it it happens when you have a when you're trying to utilize nothing but uh, change in distance with loft only. Yeah, that's the issue. When you're not utilizing length as well as loft, you're it's very difficult to control distance because the more you de loft, the more the club will travel offline because speed remains the same. Yeah. So when speed remains the same, and if you de-loft a degree or two more, the difference in distance is way more or less based on the fact that speed remains the constant. Because if I'm swinging a 42-degree golf club or a 19-degree golf club that's the same length, it's going to be the same speed. So when you rely on loft only to change distance, your misses become much greater. Yeah. And we watched him hit numerous shots to where he was, he felt like they were good shots, but all of a sudden they come up way short, way long. And he's sitting there going, well, what's going on? Where's think, the win? According to my I, calculations, the, the, yeah, the yeah. angel farts were a little firmer than yeah, that. We had the do, we had the dew point wrong on that shot. Yeah, Come on. Come <laughs> I on. I was just man. about to say, I think McLean just gave like such a deep, deep uh, synopsis of what he's doing. I think it just went straight over my head. Like it totally, <laughs> totally didn't. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, no, I, he's yeah. he's right though. I think he's I, right. One hundred percent. I think part of it goes to, you know, these guys are copycats. Yeah, and they're gonna try everything to 
no one's ever tried this. I mean, he's been playing with single length iron since he was an amateur. Yeah. No one like I haven't heard of any at least good player on the tour try it. Right now they're they're trying to get more distance. They're trying to maybe get in the gym and do some yeah. speed training. They're copying that portion of what he's doing. They're not copying the single length iron portion. I, I think I think you're, you're right. He he's definitely he's always pushing the envelope, which I respect 100. percent He's always trying to be better and 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 push push what he can do, and push what the game is what's accepted in the game. Um, but you're right. I think I think the single length iron is just so foreign to so many guys they're not willing to take that chance and most of them are either jockeying to keep their card jockeying to finish in the top 50 in the world rankings or trying to win a major so they're like i don't have the time to make that big of a switch now if it can trickle down for young kids in high school and college they're like hey i got nothing to lose i'll make the change then you may see more people do it um and i'm not gonna lie if if it were think if you were a little bit more accepted um, I think you may see more kids trying to do it, but I, I think that um, his, his, you know, maybe his media, the media part of it doesn't help and he doesn't expose himself very well to the, to the general public sometimes, which I think, I mean, he does, he does set the stage for himself and he, he creates his own bed and he sleeps in it. But I think, he's an easy target, I think, for the media too. People like to like make well, fun of him the because he's guy- so, He's so anxious, and so he's got so much anxiety when he's, well, he's out He's stopped there. talking to the media now. I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah, have followed this. He has stopped talking to the media. At yep. least the, the only time he's talked to the media in the last few events was the other day when he shot 60. Right? Because, yeah. oh, yeah, the media. the And it actually, only he talked to TV and radio. He didn't even talk to the print media. He walked right past them and basically said, go fuck yourself. Um, well, before we, before we go down another rabbit hole, real quick, to, to wrap all of that up. When you go back to it, when we look at what he's creating, and it's funny because, you know, his argument for, you know, one link to a certain degree is less moving parts. However, less moving parts is creating more variance because the only moving part is loft. And when you're swinging everything at the same speed, I'm not trying to get back onto the, the track that we were on, but I'm, I'm just clarifying, wrapping this up. Um, you're going to create more variance because ultimately you're you're creating the same speed golf club and when you're hitting a higher lofted golf club with more speed you you will create more variance based off of contact that is just how, a, how the ball how the ball reacts fact. to the, the loft you're exactly the right if you have a 50 degree golf club or a 45 degree golf club so we're talking down in your wedge links you know anywhere from a pitching wedge down to a gap wedge the variance at a higher speed with miscontact is much higher. So if I have my 50 degree golf club at standard length, my variance is lower because I'm creating less speed. No, I, I I'm following you hundred percent. That's probably like, why it, he does so much testing of, you know, spraying the water on the golf ball and spraying the water on the sure, face and, sure. and testing how there's, in the simplest forms, when you look at your missed shot with a wedge or a gap wedge versus your missed shot with a seven iron, the variance on your seven iron is much higher than it is with your wedge. Would you guys agree? Yes. From a yard standpoint, Without probably question. not from a percentage standpoint. From a distance standpoint. Yes. Just distance from the hole or just distance? Distance period. I mean, at the end of the day, distance period. Distance from the hole two. I think distance yeah. from the hole two is also accurate because you're going to miss your ledge, your wedge mess. 
you're going to miss your wedge less than you will miss your seven iron. Yeah, it's probably yeah. all in the so, same percentage. 5% of a wedge and 5% right. of a seven iron is yeah. different numbers. but Right, but when you start applying that same speed to higher lofted clubs, all of a sudden that variance jumps up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, no, 100%. If, if you've got a stock... You guys following? Yeah, 100%. If you've got a stock 7-iron swing at a certain speed and then all of a sudden you're applying the same speed to this to a wedge with, with you know, 10, 12, 12 degrees, 15 more degrees loft. Uh, no, more than that. Yeah, 20. What is a 7-iron? What's a 7-iron? Seven 7-irons seven anywhere for these days, anywhere from 29 to 72 or 32. Yeah, so now you're taking a club that's the same length, same swing speed, but you're applying a 30 degrees more loft, roughly. That's yeah, that, that I can see where the variance well, you're, you're applying, you're applying 15. You know, you're gonna go from 32 down to 45 to 50 for a wedge, for example. No, I'm saying if you've got a lob wedge that's the same length, it's 60 degrees, and you've got a seven iron at 30 degrees. I mean, it's 30 degrees. Sure, sure, sure. That's fair. That's very fair. Jade, you're absolutely correct. And chipping out of the bunker with a seven iron, trying to open it up, a, a yeah. golf club that's even the seven iron length. I don't give a shit how flat it's bent and the fact that it's 60 degrees. It's, when it's you have awkward. that amount of length, it's, it has to be difficult to manipulate the club the way you need to in a bunker where the, well, his the aren't, ball His arms are pretty flat. They're really upright too. Yeah, yeah, but with no, they're upright in certain instances. With a lob wedge, it should be bent way flat. With a shorter long iron, it should be bent way upright because there's going to be a line on the spectrum. When you have one length, the longer clubs should be bent more upright and the shorter clubs yeah, should a be bent more standard flat. Length, but him in general, his standard lie angles are really upright the way he's... Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. But the, the lob wedge is going to be the flattest club in the set. Yes. Without question. Correct. And it's still going to be way more upright of the 64 degree lie angle that we all consider standard. Well, I would I mean, have to verify what it is. They're not going to be, they're all going to be the same lie, but you're saying flat compared to. It won't be the same lie. It can't be the same lie because the link stays standard. The, so, every, no, if the length is standard, every club is going to be same lie, same length. If the, I'm sorry, the length is not standard. If the link stays the same, the lie angle has to change. Whereas on normal sets, the lie angle would stay constant and the length would change. Hmm. Picking up what no. I'm putting down. Uh, isn't the lie angle different on every club on a normal set? But his lie angles would all to be a the certain same. degree. But but yeah, his lie angle would be all the flat. same. All of them are one flat, or all of them are yes, standard. yes, yes. We're talking about the actual number, though. Yeah, what I'm same. saying the no, actual number is changing. the same. It still changes. Why? It shouldn't. It has to because the length changes. No, the, the length, length, no, the length is the same. The length stays constant. It has to change. Unless I'm unless I'm having an absolute brain fart here. Um, <laughs> right, we're getting down a crazy rabbit hole. We don't need to argue about this right now, but we get it. You're right. The angle has to change on some things. The length stays constant because I, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong on that point, but you're right on the rest. I'm, I, not I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not. All right. All right. Let's 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 move on. I just I just want to say, Bryson's a douchebag. Um, he needs to talk <laughs> to the media, face the facts. If you don't like what they're saying about you, change who you are or change how you go about it. And talk to the media. I'm sorry. 
Like it's part of being a public figure. It's part of being an athlete that has commercials and making millions and millions and millions of dollars. If you don't want to be a public figure, then quit and get out of the game. So talk to the media and and face the face the facts. All right. Yes. Don't like what they're saying about you. Change it. Um, That's all I wanted to say about that. I I agree. I'd agree. Well done. Well done. Good. Good input. Okay, that was your mass hole minute. (laughs) Brought to you by. Real fast, Caves Valley. Um, it's the last time they'll host a big event. Unfortunately, yeah. great yeah. venue, good spot. But when they go out and light that thing up, I mean, unfortunately, if Bryson doesn't have the falter on what was it, 11, 12, or 12 and 13 with the bogey double, he was 22 yeah. under par through, um, what was it, 45 holes, 46 yeah. holes through 10? He was 22 under par. I mean, it looked like he was going to shoot 35 under par based off of where he was in that moment. Of course, he did falter, which, you know, you can argue is because of the golf course. But long story short, uh, it could have been it could have been unreal. They'll never host a big event again, unfortunately. Well, and I think (laughs) excuse me, I think my my biggest takeaway is and we've talked about course setups and course conditions is. It, it comes down to, I don't care how good or bad a golf course is. If the conditions aren't right to make a golf course hard for these guys, yeah, they're going to chew it, chew it up. You know, they had ball in hand the first couple of days. You're talking about a bent grass golf course in Baltimore in when August. it's 95 degrees in August. They're not going to kill this thing because they're putting it on national TV and they don't want, they got more eyeballs on this golf course than they've ever seen. So they're going to water the hell pretty. out of it and it's going to be green and the greens are soft. And Bryson doesn't have to worry about his drives landing in the fairway, but then rolling into the rough or rolling into a bunker. The ball's just landing in the fairway and stopping there. 100%. And they can just throw darts at it. And I think it just, unfortunately, we talk all about, oh, what courses are will be able to hold up to these guys and how far they're hitting it these days and, and what kind of course is it more rough? Is it this and that? I think it's firm and fast, but you have to have perfect conditions to get firm and fast. Yeah. Well, you also have to go to the the you have to go during the right time of year you do have to go to the correct golf courses you do have to go to the correct grasses as well um you know we look for ideal climate which sometimes is going to bring in especially if you go into the northeast during this time of year when the weather should be ideal a bent grass course could could take a lot of rain and it's going to play soft and they're going to absolutely eat it up because we know how good that bent grass surface is. And when you took the best place, the best players in the world on it, they're going to absolutely chew it up. We didn't see a lot of roll from this golf course this week, but you could tell the guys were able to still take advantage, especially even some of the shorter hitters. I mean, if you look back outside of just the playoff, which we got so focused on, we had a lot of guys here. Abraham answer, for example, finished up there pretty high. Um, not a long hitter by any stretch, but was still able to take advantage of it because he's so good around the greens. His wedge game is so good. He's able to take advantage of the short uh, iron opportunities when he can. When you can get on a tough, firm and fast golf course down, at least if you're looking at an Auburn Muta golf course, you're looking something in the mountains that's been sand capped, which may be tough for a venue for a, a golf tournament but it's tough to provide some of those those firm and fast opportunities during certain times of the year. Yeah, it was kind of kind of a shame. I mean, every player in the field finished under par. 70 players, no cut, four rounds, they all finished under par. That's not great, Fazio. Not not very good. So, um 
anyways, that's that's our topic on or discussion on the event and all kinds of rabbit holes on putting strokes and lofts and flies. Actually, kind of, it was pretty cool. I, I kind of wanted to hear you. You guys are well versed in and you know fitting and also with you know the stats. So it was kind of cool to. I mean, I think Patrick Cantley may be onto something. I mean, again, a lot of it determines the speed of the greens, the type of grass and and so forth, but you know, not to go back down there, but um, I don't know. This could be, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to say. I do love that he holds the, holds the putter the conventional way. And I think every clutch putter that I've ever seen has held it like that. I mean, I'm sure somebody can comment and, and call me out on that, but. I would think every clutch putter that you can think of holds it with the traditional grip because it's the easiest way to it's the easiest way to putt and, and reproduce develop, the and same develop, and develop feel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, all right, so we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. Every week, it's kind of now our our weekly Ryder Cup uh, update. So we're now the top six are now qualified in in an official. It's Morikawa, DJ, Bryson, Kepka. JT and now Cantlay jumps Finau and gets into the sixth spot in his automatic qualifier. So then you got Finau, Shafle, Spieth, Harris English, Patrick Reed, Daniel Berger, Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler are the all the way down to 14 there. Again, we've talked about all these names the last couple of weeks, but what did what happened this weekend, not just with Cantlay getting in, but how some of the other guys played? Did it change any of your thoughts on? Catherine's picks to me, Finau, Shoffley, Speed, seven, eight, nine are locks, and they're in. You can then argue Harris English is Patrick Reed going to be healthy? Daniel Berger, English is in. Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler. I think. I think what we did learn is Kevin Kisner and Mickelson are out. They've been playing awful. Yeah, uh, they're not going to be around if Stricker takes them. I'm out, <laughs> especially Mickelson. I think but you can make an argument. Sam Burns has been playing well. He's back up to 16th. Um, he's too far down. I, I think, I think it, I think it's a very simple uh, pull at this point. Daniel Berger and Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed's out. Looks like from injury. He's not going to be showing well. He's not getting the pick. We just know he's not getting the pick. Daniel Berger's not, not playing his best golf at the moment. And Webb Simpson brings a ton of experience. Guy who's playing pretty well at the moment. He's in good form. And you're going to pick Scotty Scheffler. And you're just going to go with 13, 14. You're going to eliminate 11 and 12 on the list. And you're just going to keep it moving. I'd love to see Kokrak on that list. He's just one shot out. You can't take him over Webb or Scheffler. No. There's just no way you can take him over Webb or Scheffler. What if, go down what even if, Sam Burns, and I love Sam Burns. He's playing incredible golf, and he's made a hell of an argument for himself. But he hadn't won to, to put himself in that mix. You can't take Sam Burns, Jason Kokrak, Billy Horschel, Kevin Kisner, or Phil Mickelson over Webb Simpson and Scotty Scheffler based off of their current performance. So what if 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 Sam Burns finishes top two or three in this next event? Take him. Best based on where, where he would finish in terms of the points. I'm I'm almost positive he would jump, definitely jump Kokrak, and depending on how they play, and he would possibly jump Scheffler and be 
14th on that list. And if that's the case, if you're going, if you're just dropping out uh, Patrick Reed and Daniel Berger, then he moves into that, that 14th spot, with this, which is eventually the, the 12th spot. Do you pick – Sam Burns has had a pretty good last year. a months. great year. The last couple of do months we all agree? Do we all agree that Webb's in? I, I would think I, I would put him in. I mean, I, I think he's too good to not. He's got too much experience. I, I think I, the experience I, the experience helps because you got a lot of young guys. Even the guys that are stalwarts, like a Morikawa, is going to be a rookie. Yeah, Bryson has he played in the Ryder Cup? Sam Burns yes. or Scotty Scheffler? No, I just think it's Sam Burns or Scotty Scheffler. That's where it boils down to. Sam Burns or Scotty Scheffler? Who yeah, I, I think who you're do right. you want? I think you're right. If if I Burns if in. Burns plays well, if Burns gets top five this week in this modified format, I don't know exactly where he's starting. Yeah, um, Got to put him in. I think you put him in over Scheffler because Scheffler's had a great year. He hasn't won. Sam has won, and Sam's playing well right now. He's he's. I think he might be probably playing better than than Scheffler in the last couple months. I I think the I think the the uh, honestly this is a whole the whole nother level here, but I think Presidents Cup and. Ryder Cup points should be more condensed and closer to yeah, I agree. The way they're playing. Like you can have all these points for maybe two years, but as you get within two months of the tournament, they should be yeah. The, the previous uh, weighted, six months need to be weighted yeah, heavier, weighted much heavier because it's current form. I mean, you, you got to be honest. I mean, it's a guy can qualify uh, and and not be playing well. And is that who you want to take to your, you know, to the Presidents Cup? You know. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And I think, I think we can make this a, a quick discussion because I think we're basically talking about one or two guys. I think we pretty much yeah. all have 10 guys that we all agree on 11 guys, even that we all agree on. And it really comes down to these last two spots that maybe yeah. I'm sure Stricker has even already has his 11 and it might be two guys for one spot. He's looking at this weekend at the, at the tour championship yeah. kind of thing. So well, I think Stricker's age also brings into consideration why Webb Simpson's going to be picked because Webb's one of the few guys that's been around long enough to have a really good relationship with Strick. So yeah. I think I I truly think Webb is already they've already got his sizes, his uniforms are. Well, they got all their sizes already. These guys. No, I, I'm kidding. I'm, we all know that, but you know what I'm saying. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I'll be uh, and there's another layer to the tour championship. Uh, this weekend. So, all right, real fast. Phil Mickelson. <laughs> he commented, there's a rumor going around that the RNA in the USGA is going to restrict the length of a driver to 46 inches. You cannot have a driver longer than 46 inches and part of their fight against, you know, people hitting the ball too far. And Phil put out some stupid tweet about how ridiculous it is. And actually, I'm going to read it because I'm a professional yeah. journalist here. <laughs> it is fucking ridiculous. You're such a pro. Why are we trying to take away? And I, here's here's where I, my stance is. It's, it's very clear. Mike Davis's USGA has been detrimental to the game. I'm here to make a statement. I'm here yeah. to take a stance. He has outlawed anchoring. He has... Out, he's trying to outlaw the length of a driver. Not he him anymore. Not... He's done. He still has he's an re- influence on it. He's retired. Us. Mike Wan's taken over. Mike Wan has not taken over yet. 
So you don't like you don't like this change? Yes, he has. He has taken over, by the way. Um, yeah, taking over. I, I, I think yeah. it's an awful change. Why are we trying to take away from enjoyment of the game? Who gives a shit if the driver's a killer bee, seventy-two inches long? I don't get. I, I don't. Give I hundred percent disagree with you. I I think you're on the wrong side of this, pal. I think from the growth and a fun point of this game, we need to allow whatever length the golf club. The guys want to have fun. Do what you can. If you can score and you can shoot under par and you can you can show up. Do what you want to do. Bend it 13 degrees flat and 14 inches over. Don't care. Get in where you fit in. Shoot the lowest score you can possible. I, let's add them up at the end of the day and let's have some fun. Bring I, everyone to the game. Why wouldn't we allow anchoring I, I, of a golf stroke? So that's let's that's eliminate ex- that's low, exactly low where problems. that's exactly where you lose me. The the self righteousness that Phil Mickelson of who thinks he's doing something for the good of the game and the amateurs. Bullshit, dude. You're pissed because it's affecting you. You're not pissed because it's affecting. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Phil Mickelson. He's bullshit (laughs) because it's affecting. He's bullshit because it's affecting him, not because it's affecting Joe Blow down at the country club. Right. I would never put an amateur in a 47 and a half inch driver like he was playing. I'm sorry. Me I would never. But there's do no that. reason. There's no reason why they shouldn't be allowed to if they want to experiment and fuck around. There's no reason why a guy because so we experiment seen guys and fuck around and don't golf swing. No bullshit. Hang on. No, for a let second. me fucking talk. You had there your are point. Some guy, look, you let me talk. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you already what? had. You opened the floor. So let me fucking finish my point. <laughs> If you want someone to experiment and play around, great. Experiment and play around. There's no playing a tournament with it. It doesn't really affect how many people in this earth are playing with a driver longer than 46 inches. Exactly my point, my friend. So what's it really so matter if you ban it? No, no, no. He's no, no, no. Take here. a second. Take a second. Take a second. You made a great point. How many guys are doing it? Very few. How many guys are winning it with it? Very few. How many guys are doing anything impactful with it? Almost none. Correct. So who gives a shit? Who gives a shit if you ban it or if you don't? Like, but the thing is that don't Phil Nicholson's it, coming don't off. Don't stop bringing people to the table, though. Let me fucking finish or stop interrupting thoughts. me. Let stop interrupting guys, me. Let, look here. Look here, goddammit. <laughs> let the guys that want to bring something different to the table have their fun. If they think that helps them and they have fun doing it, when we have the guys in their garage late night, that's awesome. the 47 and a half inch golf club, because they're that much of a golf nut. That's good for the fucking game. If it doesn't no, affect not. our game, why, why is no it one's, not? No one's going to play this game or stop playing yeah. this game because someone says your driver's only going to be 46 no, inches. You, get you, off your uh, high horse. You and Phil can get off oh, your high horse. Geez. It's not changing who plays this game. I'm sorry. Wow. If you want to hit a golf ball straight, don't play with a driver. Don't, no, all I'm inches. saying, no, you're right. No, stop fucking interrupting me. No, look here. It doesn't change who plays the game. What I will fucking say is it doesn't stop bringing people to the game. It doesn't eliminate people from the game. It doesn't eliminate outside thinking to the game. It doesn't eliminate creativity to the game. If you want to try something different, fucking bring it on. Shoot your score. Let's add them up. And that's what golf's about. If you want to anchor your stroke, shoot your score. Let's add them up. If you want to fucking get out there and play with a seven-foot-long driver, shoot your score. Let's add them the fuck up. And I'm not scared to play with anyone. I don't care how long they're fucking driving. Fucking done yet? And the fact that you are (laughs) shit. See, this is what I'm saying. It makes no sense for you to have this argument. You we you're a PGA professional. You should be about bringing people to the game, not eliminating any one of them. Who cares what the length of their driver? That's exactly what I'm saying, McLean. If you would fucking listen, this is not 
preventing people from coming to the game. This is Sounds not like taking it. people away from the game. Yes, I could, I could, I could agree with you on an acre ban and all that kind of stuff affecting people because people get the yips and it could drastically affect whether someone plays this game or not. If someone's driver is 47 inches and they have to cut an inch off of it, they're still playing this game. I'm sorry. They're probably going to actually hit it in the center of the club face more. It's going to go straighter and probably further. So shut the hell up and let me finish. Why does that inch make that big of a difference to you? That's all I'm asking. (laughs) All I'm saying is... Why are you upset over it if you admit that it doesn't offer a benefit? Well, if you would let me answer your fucking question and not interrupt... (laughs) I mean... It does not matter. And for Phil Mickelson to act all self-righteous, like he's doing this for the good of the game. No, you're not, Phil. You're doing it for the good of you. And to say, oh, man, it promotes a shorter, more violent swing. They should be injury prone. Shut the fuck up, dude. That's not what's going on here. You're just pissed. That's all it is. It's like, get over yourself. I mean, I can totally see how this is. Phil would never comment on anything, regardless of either side. I mean, both points, I'm looking at both points. But you're right. You're right, Mikey. For Phil to say this, it totally... It's totally about Phil. It always is it's about always Phil. about Phil. He's it's just trying to get people Phil. on his side. So he's like, oh, look at the big bad USGA because he's had an axe grind against the USGA for decades now. Yeah. Right. So it's like you put this self-righteous bullshit and that people. Oh, yeah, he's right. It's going to kill amateur golf. It's not going to fucking kill amateur golf. Get over <laughs> it. If, it if, if that comment had come from anyone other than Phil, I think it probably would have would have been received better. But because it was Phil, everyone's like, "Oh, well, he's got an interior motives here for for disagreeing with the length or the shortening of the club." I mean, you know, I mean, don't you agree, McLean? I mean, you know, Phil, typi- typically, whenever Phil comments, it's about it's not about he may hide behind the greater good of the game, which is is sure. probably a bull. Sure. Bull- he's got a personal agenda behind whatever he yeah. says. Yeah, sure. yeah. So I, lo- I love you, Mike. I love you too. You're dead wrong on this one. I'm on the wrong side of history. Like, oh, remember that back in 2021 when you thought 47 inches was a bad idea? And look at this. We got no golfers and you're out of a job. Like, shut up. Like, come on, dude. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll pick this up another day. We'll pick yeah. this up another day. So another, another mass hole minute presented by McLean. Um, <laughs> great that's fucking great that was good that's good stuff i like i like there's some, some intensity there it was good i could ah. love it let me calm down <clears throat> for a second here let me just take a breather yeah <laughs> uh, all right I on to, piss anyway on to good news we've been keeping you abreast of the situation the last couple of weeks but our guest from a few weeks ago last month callum Taron. if you're not watching the corn ferry tour I was on my, I think I almost drained my battery on my cell phone. I kept on refreshing the leaderboard so much. I know he played, he played great this weekend. It was this round or week two of three on the corn Ferry finals. He had a T 26 last week was end up being T 19 on the points list finished. What T fourth T fourth T four this weekend, a great weekend, 68 or 66, 68, 70, 66 on Sunday, jump up the leaderboard, finish T fourth and secure enough points. He is now fifth on the points list for the playoffs, which guarantees no matter what happens next week, he's in guarantees his PGA tour card. And so 
you cannot be happy, especially if you listen to that to our interview. Uh, cannot be more happy about the guy. Then, oh, just add on the fact that he just had a baby two weeks ago. Yeah, and just you know the pressure. But it's just it was so cool to watch and and see him you know put together a great final round and jump up the leaderboard. And uh, the Corn Ferry Tour has put out some things on social media about him and put out some interviews and articles. And he, you know, he had a great, a great perspective on it. You know, basically the way he said it was like, Hey, I really had nothing to lose. Like I had my corn Ferry tour card locked up. So I had a place to play next year. Yeah. I'm going to go out and try my hearts in these three events. And if I get my card, which is obviously the goal. Awesome. If not, I don't get my card and I have a longer layoff and I go home and I spend three months with my fiance and my new baby girl, Sophia, and that's going to be great as well. So I think his perspective on it helped, and I hate using that word perspective because you hear it all the time when p- the media talks about. Is it just players. tough to pronounce for you? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was on my word. It was on my word of the day calendar. Um, I, no, I think you're. I, I agree. I think. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is a commonly used word, but you, you hit the nail on the head, and we've talked about this with Callum before. We talked about his, you know, that kind of fearlessness that he has. Um, but I think. Think not just golf, but anything else. If you want to be successful, you have to set these goals that you think are obtainable, but in a way you have to be able to, to, to attack them with the fearlessness that he has. Like there's no recourse for what could happen next. It's like, I don't care. Like, you know, this is the goal. I think it'd be cool if I reach it. If I don't, this is, you know, he, he sets that gray area that he can fall within. Like if I don't, this is the worst that can happen. If I do, this is the best that can happen. And I'm happy with anything in the middle. And then you, I mean, that's living life. I mean, you're, you're as free as a bird. If you can think like yeah, that. Absolutely. Well, he was, he was all of a sudden able to go out and free wheel it. Like he said, he had a place to play. He already had locked up corn fairy status the next year. And when you give a guy the ability to go free wheel it, yeah. you're giving someone dangerous ammunition. Because he has nothing to lose, as as he said, you know, he had locked yeah. up that. If there was nothing he could do to screw that up, he could yeah. only improve. So when you give that guy that kind of, uh, when you give a good player and a dangerous individual that kind of opportunity, they're going to take advantage things, of it. Big things can happen, and yeah. Callum proved that he's got that stomach to make those things happen. So uh, I, uh, I can't. Him. Yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait to follow him. Hell, the, the PJ Tour season starts in just a couple weeks. Um, so, you know, pretty yeah. much right after the Tour Championship, I think it's a week off, and then they, they start again, um, which is crazy. So he's, you know, I guess he's going to be hopefully playing in that first event. But, you know, I also hope he gets to spend a little time with his with his family back home because yeah. uh, I'm sure he, sure he misses holding his baby girl. And um, as a father of two girls, it's a, it's a cool experience. It's fun. So, um Callum, tip of the cap. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it was us that did it, but just, you know, <laughs> a, a, a pot hashtag pod bump. You know, he got a yeah. bump from being on here and he just got, you know, that's it. There we go. That's on it. to the next stage, right? And if then we're, we're um, the confidence builder, and that's great. That's right. Another another special guest of ours we had this year. I want to give a good luck to Austin Ernst. We got the Solheim Cup on the LPJ tour this week. At uh, Inverness, which will be a fun course to watch in Toledo, Ohio, and you know, just kind of get the the juices flowing. It's weird to have the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup in the same year, you know, with the Ryder Cup being postponed a year um, from last September. So it'll kind of get the uh, the patriotic juices flowing. USA versus Europe. I think the USA is going to beat the piss out of them. That's my prediction. I think there's a lot of people playing well on the USA side, 
And I actually texted a little bit with Austin today, giving her a good luck. And she says she's feeling good. So um, we'll be, we'll be rooting for them, all the girls uh, over there. And um, so keep an eye on that. That's again, always a fun event and gets, gets us ready for the Roddick cup in a couple of weeks. So Let, let's, let's also give a very quick shout out to the um, Curtis cup United States team. That's right. Uh, I believe Ricky Sullivan down at Bulls Bay had two students. Rachel Kuhn and uh, Jensen Castle uh, from Columbia, South Carolina. Rachel, I'm not sure exactly where Rachel's from, but long story short, um, they've had a heck of a last few months, especially Jensen Castle. Um, you know, she won, I believe, the U.S. Women's Am and Women's Am. showed up to Columbia Country Club to run carts the next day. <laughs> True story with her USJ medal on. That's, cool. uh, no That's pretty cool. Kind, kind of a cool good. story. Um, so Incredible long story, story. I got to follow that a little bit and obviously love Ricky, love what he does down there. Um, it, Amen. It's, it's gone a long way. I mean, Jay can speak, speak volumes to it, but uh, he proves time and time again that he knows what he's doing and his, his students continue to put themselves in big time situations, continue to win um, big time golf tournaments, uh, Jay included. Uh, yeah. And congrats, congrats, yeah. to, congrats to Ricky, Rachel, and uh, obviously to Jensen as well. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, definitely want to give a shout out to both of those, those girls. I mean, um, you know, Jen, obviously with the recent success and Rachel, uh, you know, at Wake Forest. I mean, I remember Ricky sending me videos of her a couple of years ago when he first started working with her. I'm like, holy, you know, holy cow, like this is, you know who is this? This girl's going to be a stud. And he's like, you just wait. And he he's, he's been exactly right. And, and obviously Jen, I don't know how long he's been working with Jen, but I know that uh, she came to see him right before she left for the USAM with like a rib injury and didn't even know if she was going to play in the tournament. She was like, I don't know if I can even make it through the tournament. And, and Ricky was like, you know, you're in, you're in the tournament. Just, just play. If you can't finish, then, you know, that's fine, but you got to at least give it a shot. And here we are. She finishes the, the stroke play of the stroke play portion of the tournament as the 63rd seed. I think, um, I think it was a 63rd seed and ends up winning when it's tournament. Now, obviously she's, she's an incredible player and she was, she probably could have finished, you know, higher than that as a higher seed, but you know, with injury, she got in, which in match play, we all know that's all that matters. You get in and then you just, then you just got to get on a run. And, but those girls are, are playing some incredible golf and, and, you know, Ricky, like you mentioned, I worked with him for, uh, you know, almost, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, I guess, when I first started working with him. Um, and he's a great friend of mine and an incredible teacher. And if you're ever down in the Bulls Bay area and you're lucky enough to get a lesson from Ricky, you you'll go into his uh, bay there down at the bottom of the range. And he, in the past, he's the had ranch. Every, the ranch. Exactly. Right. He's had every player that he's that has gone on to play college golf that he's worked with. And he's got like a little uh, like a little placard for these players, and it's gotten so full that he can't even put it on on these you know, fifteen foot walls that he has down at the bottom uh, bottom of the ranch. Um, and that just goes to show how good he is at what he does and and, and shaping and molding um, you know young amateur golfers. And not only that, but he's he's so good with the kids and and. Uh, and teaching them how to be good people, you know, that's, I think that's what a good, not a good, but that's what a great teacher does is they teach, 
they teach these youngsters how to be good individuals through, through sport, which I don't know, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I grew up with a, um, with a football coach as a dad. And, um, so we got that. I know McLean, your dad was a longtime PGA, uh, pro. So you kind of learn that part of it, which is, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. If you're lucky enough to be around, you know, a good, a really good coach that they want you to succeed and be, and do well at the sport, but they really want you to end up being good people, which is a holistic approach. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, I know that sounds, I'm getting kind of deep, but I'm being honest. I mean, I I think that it, that's what, that's what, that's what young kids, they gravitate, gravitate towards people like that. And they're like, wow, I want to be around that person because that person has my best interest at heart. And they, and, and young kids can see it. Like they don't, they're not stupid. Like they can sense like this person really wants me to do well. And that's who they gravitate to gravitate towards. And that's why he's people come and search him out just like I did. in in 2010, I didn't know him at all. I had a friend of mine who said, you need to go see this guy. And I went and met him one time. I'm like, that's who I need to work with. You know, that's how good he is, not just with golf, but good with people. And, and, um, you know, kudos to him. He's had an unbelievable career and, um, he's, I'm, it's going to keep going. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had a great weekend, some cool upcoming things. And now let's, let's get to, uh, let's get our picks and previews presented by DraftKings. We need to start getting them. This. They need to, <laughs> presented they need to, by DraftKings. They need to sponsor this segment. Yeah. They need to do that. <laughs> so um, we got the tour championship. We got the top 30. Uh, and the FedEx Cup points have made it to East Lake in this year's net event, uh, which Patrick Cantlay is starting with a 10 handicap, followed by Tony Finau is playing as an eight handicap this week. I'm just kidding, folks. That, you it's crazy. You don't realize uh, Patrick Cantlay is already 10 under for the event, it's and it's true, Monday though. night. Tony Finau is eight under. Bryson seven under. Rom <clears> starts at six under. Cam Smith at five under, and then it all goes all the way down. A group at four, three, two, one, and then even par. So, um, you know, East Lake's always a fun golf course. It should be in, in obviously great shape with the weather that the Southeast has been having with the Bermuda grass. It's probably going to play way firmer and faster than they just played up at, at Caves with the bent grass and the, essentially the same weather. So, um. Old Donald Ross design. Everyone should be pretty familiar. with been playing here forever with the golf course. From a DraftKings standpoint, it's it's kind of difficult, in yeah. all honesty, because so. they're factoring in right. They're factoring in the starting position that ends up factoring in the finish position for these guys. And so you look at, you know, someone on this list down here at you're like, holy shit, Billy Horschel is fifty one hundred dollars. What a steal. Well, he's also starting ten. He's also starting ten shots behind the leader at even par. So it's like, yes. oh, well, okay. Well, I don't want to pick him, but then you don't have enough dollars to pick the top guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, <clears throat> it's, these uh, tournaments are t- these tournaments are tough, and you know, in my experience, you know, I've 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 done DraftKings for the last probably ten years, and golf probably the last six or seven. And these small field events, even last week, are tough to pick. I mean, you get you give a guy in the normally you're looking, okay, what guys can I get to make the cut to stay in the stay in the mix? I I know I'm going to score a bunch of points, but when you have no cut, it makes it really difficult. Now you have to really get deep and looking at how good are these players at this type of golf course? How are they playing? 
What type of mindset do they have? Are they great? Are they really good at uh, playing well when they have four rounds and no cut? I mean, it, it, it really goes into it. Um, and same thing for this. I mean, only 30 players, it gets even tighter, uh, no cut, you know, and, and then you throw the whole dynamic of, of, of spotting guys shots. It, it just it makes it really difficult. It's to pick. tough. So on that note, Jay, you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> I will dive right in. I, uh, I'll be honest. I, I kind of, it's, it's, it's like, I've always said it's early in the week for me to make my picks. I like to kind of get a feel and, and look, mull things over right before Thursday, like on Wednesday night. But for this, this I, I'm, I'm really going heavy on um, guys who play well on this golf course. And not only that, but um, I'm trying to balance the, the money. So I've got a couple really low end guys. I shouldn't say, well, yeah, they are really low end. And then, uh, a couple, a couple high end guys um, that I think, based on the, how their starting position, that they'll still be able to gain a bunch of points from the way they finish. So, uh, I'm gonna start from the bottom. The lowest guy that I've got is uh, Eric Van Royen. It's like and, three weeks in a row for you, and he's it's paid off. He's it's paid he's, off. He's played well. The guy is is playing unbelievable golf. He's making a bunch of birdies. Um, so he's one of the lowest ranked guys in terms of his price, and I feel like. While he is starting at even par, um, I still think he's going to play really well. He, may, he obviously may not win the event, but I still think he can crack into the you know top ten, top fifteen, and make a bunch of birdies along the way, which still get a, still gets a points in DraftKings. So, uh, Eric Van Royen um, is my lowest tiered guy. The next guy is Sergio Garcia, another guy who's played at East Lake. Playing really well right now. 15 times, playing really well right now. You're right. Just came off a really good, great week. Only made one bogey uh, through 54 holes. I'm not sure how many bogeys he made on uh, Sunday there, but I know he's playing some great golf. Loves Bermuda. Loves Bermuda Greens. Um, so I got a got a hint, uh, a hunt that, that he, he will play well. Um, Harris English, um, kind of native to this this the Southeast. So I just have a feeling that he's really comfortable on firm, fast Bermuda greens. And, uh, he's a great putter to begin with. So I feel like he'll, he'll put well, um, next up, uh, Mr. Rory McElroy, who has mm. won this tournament before and has played pretty well over the last, obviously played well this past week, but even going back to, uh, the Northern trust, the first tournament, he, he had a, a couple signs of some playing some good golf. So I feel like he's, he's one of those guys that, uh, he, he, everyone expects him to win every week and he doesn't. And they're like, always disappointed, but he still plays well. He finished, did he finish third or fourth? I just fourth. got rid of the leaderboard. It was up there. Yeah. I think I it mean, might've been fourth or fifth. I mean, he, the guy always is in the mix. I mean, he doesn't he hardly misses any cuts. I mean, He's only missed four cuts all year. I mean, the guy's, he's a super talented guy. So he could, it's nice for the price point where he's at 9,300 compared to the guys over 13,000. Like he can, he can get hot in a second and, and make up the difference uh, in my opinion. So we got Roy at 9,300. I jump up the list to uh, Abram answer. Another guy who's playing some good golf last you know month. Um, I'm not even going to go with the, our nicknames. Do you want me to say it, McLean? Or I mean, you're you're pissed at that. <laughs> McLean doesn't want so, me to say it. All right. So, so I, I won't mention the Spanish sensation. 
Um, uh, Abram is playing, he's playing great. And I think he's got a lot of confidence, um, which you, you need at least like this golf course is tough. I mean, it, it really, you got to drive it well, which he does, and you've got to have some creativity around the greens and he has both of those. So, uh, I think he'll do well. And then last but not least, um, at the top of my list, I feel like the weight has been lifted off of this gentleman's shoulders and while big did, tone, big tone i know he did not play his best last week but he still finished 15th in the event and he's still playing some incredible golf I think he 63, 63, 63 on, sunday. on sunday yeah so i do and i've got my sources are telling me from uh his caddy mr abanic um who is a, a william mary grad that tony said in 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 person that he feels the weight has been lifted off his shoulders so if tony admits that um, then I would that as talented as that guy is, if he has the mindset like the killer instinct, if he's able to switch that, then I will take that guy every week again. But anyway, that's it. That was I know there's a long version, but sorry. all right. Seemed pretty short. <laughs> all right. Coming in spicy. Top dollar, Mr. John Rom. Mm. The guy, the guy's on top of the world. Um you know, the only person I feel like he can be beat by right now is Patrick Cantlay if he rolls the butter the way he did last week. Um, moving down from that, I really feel pretty confident about my team. We already talked about the guy. Quite frankly, 8,500. I took a big drop. I took John Rahm up at top, 13 grand, went down to 8,500. Mr. Sam Burns, the guy yeah. has been putting on a hell of a show recently, playing some great golf, and I love him at 8,500. Uh, again, limited field event, and it is only fun because it's going to be ultimately just us three, which is the only reason why this is a decent fantasy, fan, fantasy <laughs> event for us. Uh, moving beyond Sam Burns, I dropped down at 8,300, which is really an unbelievable feat. The fact that I can get Colin Morikawa at $200 less than Sam Burns. That seems incredible it's to me. because he's hurt. He's playing terrible. Yeah, I'm still gonna take him. <laughs> That's fine. Like, I love the guy, he's but still that yeah, I think he's still I think he's still contend. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, so it's seventy eight hundred at Brooks Kepka. Uh a guy who obviously is comfortable playing any golf course at any given moment. Um, we'll all see how his attitude is and how healthy he is, whether or not he plays well or whether I guess he wants to play well. I guess is the better way to put it when you look at Brooks. Um, moving beyond that, I really like my next pick, Scotty Shefflin. The guy's just going to go low. He could, he's not going to win. I mean, I think this this whole format is ridiculous. But regardless, I think he's going to be a, a good pick. And then Stuart Sink at fifty two hundred. He's all the way at the back of the pack. But the guy lives in Atlanta, plays East Lake a ton. I think he makes a big charge from the back of the pack. And I think he does really well at the end of the day. He's already proven age is not a factor for Stuart Sink. He's smoking it this year off the tee. He's playing a lot of great golf, and he's obviously made it all the way to the Tour Championship at his age. Congrats to Stuart Sink. I look for him to capitalize again at a home field event. He will be sleeping in his own bed, and I think he's going to play well. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like it. Um, that leaves me. So I'm going to start at the bottom. 
$5,800. Got to impress Captain Daniel Berger. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a hard event to pick because he's all the way down an even par. So he's going to have to play well to finish up in the top 10, right? But yeah. um, I think this is a course that suits him. Hasn't been playing awesome, you know, T26 last week. Um, but I think this course is going to suit him. And I think the pressure of, of trying to make this cup team and, and last ditch effort to get that captain's pick will uh, spur him on to, to a good weekend. Then I'm going to go up to Louis Oosthuizen. Again, I think a golf course that's going to fit his game. He's one of the best. Well, obviously, he's like one of the best players on tour this year, but he's also one of the best players on Bermuda Greens. So I think that's going to help him. The only thing that's I'm a little worried about is he's had a neck injury. He actually skipped the Northern Trust because of the neck injury. So that that scares me a little bit, but I like the value at 7,600. And, you know, he's actually had a great yep. year and putting it well. So. Hopefully he that that little break got him um, got him rested up and he's okay. Then I'm gonna go up and kind of match McLean here. Brooks Kepka, seventy eight hundred dollars. I think he's gonna make some noise. Kind of ramp up to the Ryder Cup. This is kind of event that he would play well in limited field. Yeah. Just the macho man that Brooks Kepka is trying to stick it to his guys and <laughs> you know um, yeah I, I like him at seventy eight hundred. Then I'm gonna go up to Victor Hovland. I think he's got a new putter in the bag after breaking the other one, but you know, top 20 last week. <laughs> um, I don't think you need to put it great at this place. It's more about the ball striking. You hit in the fairway. I don't know what the conditions are. I wish I, I wish I did. That would help me and what the roughs like, but he drives the ball. Well, hits the ball. Well, which at East, like you need, it's not about really overpowering. It. It's about all ball striking. Yeah. And then I'm going to go up to Xander. Plays great, kind of a horse for a course. He plays great at East Lake. Won the gross portion of this event last year. Didn't have a great weekend, but I just think um, he's going to be getting ready for the Ryder Cup. Obviously, Olympian, Olympic champion in a in a limited field event will play well again and just likes that place. And then I'm going to go up to the winner of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Mr. Tony Fina. Oh, wow. You were jumping on the finale bandwagon. I like Finale. I mean, obviously, the guy's playing well. Like you said, he's got a weight lifted off his shoulders. But when you start just doing the math, he's second in, in on the leaderboard at eight under. Yeah. He, he's fourth on DraftKings. He's, you know, almost $2,000 cheaper than Patrick Cantlay and he's only in the second spot. So just the pure value of that. Yeah. No. I love. Yeah. Um, he's, he's ahead of DeChambeau. He's ahead of Rom on the leaderboard already yet. He's behind them in the, in the dollar figure on what DraftKings yeah. put him on, which I'm kind of surprised at. I guess they just think Rom and DeChambeau are that much better than him. So I'm going Tony Fino. I gave the guy a ton of shit for eight months. He finally proved me wrong. And you better, better fucking win again. So <laughs> you better get it done. That's all. Better I get it say. done again. So uh, that's my team. I don't know. I, I I went through like six iterations of this, and um, I feel confident. But we'll see. I don't know. I thought I was confident last week, and then my teams. I had like three different teams in DraftKings, and they all sucked ass. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, he's six under. He's eight under. But oh, that didn't really matter this week. Uh, you know, I stopped was six being under. confident in DraftKings altogether because I realized I fucking suck. My mom even <laughs> abandoned my fittings. She goes, I stopped listening to you guys because you suck. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, fine. I get it. Abandon me. Yeah. So there it is. Um, yeah, I think it's me exciting. Not sure. I love the format, which we talked about last week, but you know, yeah. it, it is what it is. And, a dead horse. Yeah. So, so that was a fun event. And I, I'm actually yeah. probably more curious at the Ryder cup selections and, and who's going to play well and who's not this week. That's like, that will say a lot about who wants it. Yeah. I think, I mean, that'll be fun in itself. I mean, not only you're watching, you know, who's going to win the, you know, the tournament in the FedEx cup, but you know, also who, who do you think is going to move up in those, those, uh, uh, those cup standings. I think it's kind of cool. You know, you kind of, kind of follow like, Hey, if this guy jumps up to that 12 spot, that could make a big difference in terms of captain's pick. So I'm not loving the fact that Sergio's, starting to feel it uh, dude i'm not gonna lie he's the he's the team event killer i mean it doesn't matter if it's wow. president's cup Ryder cup i mean that guy is unbelievable i think i think before it's all said and done i mean he could play another he could he could qualify like two or three more times if he wanted oh yeah to. i mean well, and he could go down as the winningest you know Ryder cup and or pre, Ryder cup president president's cup well not president's cup but Ryder cup uh uh, players of all time. I mean, who is, I mean, Nick Faldo is one of the guys that's way up there as the most Ryder cup wins. Sevy. Uh, Sevy. I mean, uh, there's another Spaniard there. We got, we got that one, right? The Spanish, <laughs> the Spanish sensation. He was an actual Spanish he was sensation, an actual Spanish sensation. But I mean, I think Sergio, by the fourth, it's all said and done Ryder cup. He's going to go, he'll go down as he has got to go down as one of the winningest winningest player he'll go down as one of the best players of all time i mean sergio is arguably the best one of the best ball strikers of all time yeah. it is so um, fun and, to watch him hit the golf ball it's oh my god incredible. but how, how about how about that wedge shot he hit at 18 i mean Did and that bunker, that? the bunker shot the, bunker, the one yeah. i'm talking about the, the, yeah. out of the bunker he's um, incredible. i mean i'm sorry bunker shots it's a yeah. wedge shot bunker shot yeah, it, it just had a little bit too much spin that it came up a little bit short. I mean, what an unreal shot! Yeah, um, the guy ball striking wise is legendary as far as our generation is concerned. Leans the leans the golf club into the ball as good as I mean, anyone that we have. Um, I I you know, all of those. I, I know we're, we're I know we're finishing up here, but if you look at all these guys who are just unbelievable ball strikers, you look at like a Lee Trevino, Sergio, uh, Ben Hogan. They all have that same kind of super dynamic swing. Like there's just you never know the beginning or the end of the swing. It's all just one thing. You know what I mean? It's not like a backswing and a downswing. It's like with Ben Hogan, it's like it's so fluid, and Sergio is so fluid, and Lee Trevino the same way. I mean, hell, his feet were moving before he took the club back, you know. Oh. Um, but Sergio's I mean, Sergio's an absolute lag fest, and I it, love watching. And they and they are they're unbelievable ball strikers. One of the best uh, of all time. All three of them are best of all time. But anyway, um, you know, Sergio will be fun fun to watch. Yeah, I, I pull for him, even though he's on the opposite team. I mean, I don't know. I just have always pulled for him. I kind of yeah. respect the fact that he's just super honest and he just says what he thinks, what he feels, and he gets he gets ridiculed for it sometimes. But at the same time, he, I kind of I kind of like the guy. 
I've all, I think I've it's a douche too. A, I've always <laughs> been a I've actually always been a huge fan of Sergio's. Um, I got to spend a little bit of time with his dad uh, overseas when Pops was over there playing Euro Senior Tour with Victor and Dad and Victor actually hosted some um, competition together. Dad's European Senior Tour win was at Sergio's home course with Victor, so I've oh, always wow. had a soft spot for Sergio. Um, I remember when he came out right with Tiger. Uh, I want to think it was like the 97 PGA at 99 foot. Was it 99 PGA no, at Medina? 99 was at Medina when he hit the shot like this. But the first tournament I believe he was in, the first major was 97 at Wingfoot at the PGA. It was 99 at Medina? Yeah, he was 19 years old in 99. I remember. Okay, maybe you're correct. Long story short, I remember I am the correct. shot like this, but long story short, always been a Sergio fan. Um, I, I I love I love seeing him put it together. Um, his, his short game and iron game is something to be. Uh, It'll be yeah. Remodeled. He's, he's fun really, to watch. You know, love him or hate him, he's always entertaining. You know, yeah, I want to be a Sir, I want to be a Sergio fan, but he's a yeah. dick. <laughs> what is he? What has he done? Did, I mean, you like Rory Sabatini? What the fuck do you know about not liking a dick? <laughs> <laughs> not sure. I like how you phrased that. <laughs> oh, that's 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 that great. May, that may have came off different, but hey, it's that, where it we are. Sure. I'm gonna think I'm gonna refrain from answering that question because it, it could 100% be came off the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about not liking a dick? <laughs> I know oh, I'm not gonna answer it. I know I don't. Um. <laughs> And with that, ladies and gentlemen, and that, we have to sign off. And with that, I think we just end the show there. I'm not sure where else we can go from there. I think you may have to you may have to go back and clip some of that out, Mikey. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> I'm, about to edit that I'm out. calling it out. Hey, have had a great another great night, guys. Enjoyed all the good stuff. You know, let's move forward quickly and um, yeah, you know. All right, yeah. So on that note, we're gonna uh, we're gonna call it a night. The Corona. <laughs> The Corona and the bourbon has officially affected us. So we're going to call it a night. We hope you enjoy the tour championship and that you listen to us knuckleheads in the future. So boys, that was fun. McLean, go uh, practice with your 47 and a half inch driver while you can. And we'll see you next week. All right, gentlemen. That was fun. A lot of night. Enjoy it. Gents. Take care.